Hello, this is Unanimous Indecision. I'm Joshua Troop, and it is the best day of the week because it is Wednesday, which means we are talking Moonfall. Uh, also talking a bunch of interesting news stories this week. Uh, should be a good one that I'm excited to get into. Um, but before I get started, just want to remind everyone that there's many places, many different platforms that you can find us on. You can... Uh, Listen to us, uh, audio-only format on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts sold for free. Or you can join us live on Unanimous on twitch.tv slash Unanimous Indecision, uh, where you can hop in the live chat and share your thoughts and theories about whatever it is we are talking about. Uh, but uh, I will be spoiling Moonfall uh, and maybe some other things throughout. That's just kind of the way I do things. Uh, cause I like it to be the kind of conversation you have around the water cooler at work, lunch table at school, wherever you talk about movies and TV shows, uh, you just want to talk about them in their completeness. Uh, I will not be talking about book of Boba Fett today, even though the finale just premiered. Uh, I'm sure if people pop in, they're going to be bringing it up, but I will, uh, stay away from book of Boba Fett discussions. Uh, and save that for Friday. But let's get started. Talking about Moonfall. Uh, Roland Emmerich's latest movie. And Roland Emmerich's like really interesting director, in my opinion. Because he has some of like... I mean, he's a big like disaster film uh, kind of storyteller. Um, I mean, probably most known for stuff like uh, 1998 Godzilla or The Day After Tomorrow. Um, let me make sure I'm looking at directors, not writers. Uh, just to be sure. Yeah, Independence Day, Stargate, Universal Soldier, Godzilla, uh, The Patriot, The Day After Tomorrow, 10,000 BC, 2012, White House Down, the Independence Day sequel. <laughs> Uh, Midway was recent, and then Moonfall being his latest um, and another disaster film in his filmography. It's really weird because I was trying to, about like three quarters of the way through the movie, maybe a little less than that, I was trying to figure out why I didn't really care for this one. I don't really like Moonfall. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I think it's a pretty interesting idea and it's a, it's a fun idea and the special effects, the visuals are stunning. I mean, it, he, he shows me visuals I've never seen before and I didn't know I wanted, but they look awesome. Uh, when the moon's, I mean, it's called moonfall. It's about the moon crashing in the earth as the moon's getting closer to the earth and it's pulling water off the surface towards the moon and you see these like really cool because like the moon uh gravity is very heavy on the tides and so when as it gets closer even more so um so you see a lot of tsunamis in the movie but then also when it gets really close you can just see kind of the water being sucked into the atmosphere and maybe into space but some of those effects just look so cool they're so weird uh, and it's just kind of something I've never really seen before. So I thought it was cool. 
but the story itself i didn't really care for um even though like it's something that i feel like i should have liked i mean i'm kind of i'm a bit of a space nerd and uh i feel like i should have liked it but and i was trying to realize like what's what's necessarily wrong with this film versus some of his other disaster films such as uh independence day or uh the day after tomorrow or 2012 and i think the big thing the big difference between moonfall and those movies i love those movies um i think i put them up as like some of the most rewatchable movies uh of like all time like they're so enjoyable to watch they're so enjoyable to rewatch. they're great and the big difference between moonfall and those three films for instance is the characters i care a lot more about the characters in those other films I, there are a few scenes that help you care about the characters in moonfall but they don't do enough they don't do a big enough job it's it's not enough to see that this guy in his 20s or early 30s are kind of hard to tell but i assumed it was 20s um like has no family left is a conspiracy theorist and takes care of his mother and is so, sort of a ostracized by society that's not enough to make me really cheer for him like like i don't know you need a little bit more and i don't know exactly what that more is but it's of course tailored to the individual character but like he's got that and then it's just difficult because like they're all doing it kind of for their families but at the same time they don't seem like they're that good for their families. Like, I don't know. Um, we kind of get shown that he, uh, that I forget what character it is. Um, let's see. Uh, Patrick Wilson's character, Brian Harper, uh, that he gets divorced after his failed mission uh well i guess yeah i mean not his fault but failed mission that they blame him on um and we don't exactly see why they got divorced and i feel like that's kind of part of it is you never entirely know i don't think what it was that caused them to get divorced and so you could tell that he still cares about his family but like <laughs> did did his wife only divorce him because he wasn't a uh a popular astronaut in the positive spotlight like <laughs> that certainly doesn't make me care about her very much <laughs> and that's the thing is you don't really know one way or another so like you can't past positive judgment or negative judgment so you just kind of feel like okay i guess she's there like that's good considering she's taking care of her children 
but yeah, you just don't care about the characters enough. And then like similarly, um, Halle Berry's character, Jacinda, uh, also divorced. And we don't even meet her ex-husband till like the third act. <laughs> till like the movie's almost no, it's probably not the third act. But but about halfway through the movie, we don't really meet him. And it's like, okay. And again, we don't really understand why they got divorced either. Um, and so again, you're like, I don't know if we can trust this guy or if we can't. Because um, he seems to be working against what uh, her group is trying to do. And then he ends up helping him. And so it's like, you, you don't have enough details about the characters to anticipate either betrayal or devout loyalty. You, you you don't know enough about the characters to know which will be which. Except for maybe the son, Sonny, uh, Brian's son, Sonny. Him you learn a lot about, and he's like a well-made character. Him, that character you understand. The father-son relationship you understand there. But I feel like the, the thing that makes all of Roland Emmerich's disaster films really work is that you care about all the characters. You somehow end up caring about all the characters in a good Roland Emmerich disaster movie. In 2012, like you're you even though you may not like them all, you're interested in what happens to them all. Whereas in this one, you're just kind of like, okay, the the Honda dealer dude, or was it Alexis? The the car dealer dude died. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't really tell. He kind of seemed like a, a an okay dad, but I don't really know. Um, so I feel like the character work was really lacking. And it may have been because this was quite an ambitious story to try and tell. Um, you could tell that uh, Roland Emmerich really wanted uh, people to understand what was being talked about because they repeated it half a dozen times. The moon is a is a megastructure. The moon is made by aliens. The moon is a megastructure. And sure enough, they get to the moon and it is. Uh, cool. Um, and the way they show it, it all looks fascinating and really intriguing. Uh, it's an interesting idea. Uh, as a quick science tangent, as I take a sip of water. I, I don't totally understand the megastructure. I won't say conspiracy theory because I suppose megastructures could be out there in the universe. But the idea that the moon is a megastructure maybe is a conspiracy theory. Uh, and as part of like the, the idea of it is it's got a white uh, neutron star. Or was it a dwarf star? I don't remember. I guess if it's a dwarf star, it's a little better. But either way, I mean, definitely if it's a neutron star, <laughs> uh, my, my point stands. But um, let's see uh, if I can find it. Moonfall, moon. How NASA helped moonfall make the moon fall. We'll have to look at that in a moment. Uh <laughs> But uh, before I get there, I'm trying to figure out 
that is the same article. Uh, plot. Was it a white dwarf star? Yeah, it's a white dwarf. Okay. I guess my question is, is like, would it? Because the argument was that they made a prediction about how long it would take for the moon to like fall out of orbit and crash into the earth. And they estimated three weeks, but their predictions were wrong because they were wrong about the mass of the moon due to it having a white dwarf star in the center, due to it being hollow, due to it, all this other stuff. And I was thinking about it and I was like, shouldn't a, a star be more dense than a rock? I think that's true. Maybe it's not, but I thought that was true. And so if it's more, and they even point out that like, no, yeah, yeah. They, they even say that. Yeah. Because it ends up falling faster, which means it's definitely more dense. So yeah, so it's more dense than a rock, which means uh, it has more gravity. So it falls faster. The earth and the moon attract each other more. And, but the issue that I have with the conspiracy theory, I guess, and in this movie, it being true from a science perspective, again, there's a kind of a tangent of the movie, but like, wouldn't we know that? Like we can calculate the moon's mass based on its gravitational effects on earth. And so shouldn't it have more powerful gravitational effects if it is more massive, like we should be able to measure it. It, it should be obvious. Like we, with today's technology, we should not be able to uh, make as big of a mistake as uh, miscalculating the moon's mass by orders of magnitude. Unless the only, the only possibility that could be true, but again, with our technology today, we, we should be able to do it with some, some decent accuracy, which is the distance the moon is from Earth. If the moon is actually further from Earth, but more massive, and we measure our gravitational effects, then yes, we could have miscalculated the mass because we also miscalculated the distance. But if the distance is correct, and we know the gravitational effects, there's no way we're miscalculating the mass, and there's no way it has a white dwarf star or at least there's no way we'd be shocked about it having a white dwarf star. <laughs> like we, we would know that now if it was true. Quick tangent though. But uh, going back to the movie um, is really interesting. I didn't watch any of the trailers before the movie. So it kind of went in a direction uh, that I wasn't expecting. Um, in, kind of in its entirety with all of the like, artificial intelligence stuff and i was like totally sidestepped with that i actually watched the trailer after the movie and i was like hmm, had i seen the trailer maybe i wouldn't have been so surprised about the direction it went because <laughs> the trailer does give a few things away um and if it doesn't give things away it at least prepares you for the maybe a confusing direction that the movie takes you in by the end uh, going into the full megastructure and how there are two alien species kind of at war within the moon. Turns out they're both artificial intelligences built by primordial humans, not primordial, but uh, pre, not even prehistoric. I mean, I guess prehistoric from a literal sense, meaning before history, uh, but kind of pre-earth humans 
Um, and it's just, I don't know. I really don't know about the story. Uh, it was like, okay, it's kind of, again, like I said, I, I feel like the reason why those disaster films are so lovable is because you really care about the characters. And I really didn't care all that much about these characters. Um, like they totally set up Brian to die at the end. And then he doesn't even have to do that. And someone else dies for him. And so it was like, if the whole journey was to show Brian that it was his turn to make the sacrifice. Sorry, I had to drink some water. If it was his turn to make the sacrifice, then why doesn't the movie let him make the sacrifice? I, I don't know. It's weird. I, it kind of feels like they just let this other guy die. And it's like, yeah, I get it. That guy didn't have a ton going for him. And Brian has a family versus the other guy, pretty much. And so it's it's a little weird. But, uh, like, I guess it makes sense. I don't know. I, I can't get over the fact that, like, when you start killing off characters that, like, you didn't even try to get me to care about very hard at least i mean or the attempts just weren't good enough and i i don't know maybe, maybe it was like too difficult of a subject that you had to spend so much time on the science of it which the science is a lot of fun uh but uh kind of took over some of the character work like it's weird that that uh the former that, that other NASA guy in the movie, he just resigns. Like, that's it. Like, <laughs> the, the movie says, like, we could have drama between these two characters that have opposing views. And instead, he just resigns. And we don't get any more of that drama for the rest of the movie. I also have no idea what the purpose of that foreign exchange student is that Jacinda's, uh, Jacinda has living in her house um because it's like she doesn't really add to the film at all <laughs> um she never really gives anyone an idea of anything she's kind of just like a reason for us to leave jacinda's son alone without being alone because he's like eight <laughs> so it's like a way to leave him alone without leaving him alone and sure she has some moments with sunny but like What's her name? Um, I can't even find it. Uh, I actually can't even find it. Uh, Sunny. Yeah, I don't even see her on this list. Man, I'm just missing it. Uh, but like, it wasn't because Brenda Lopez was the mom, right? Yeah, that wasn't, I actually can't even find this woman. What the heck? Weird. I must totally be missing it. 
but yeah, so like the foreign exchange student that's living in Jacinda's place, uh, like she doesn't really add a whole lot to the film. <laughs> like I said, she's just kind of an excuse for us to kind of leave Jacinda's son alone without leaving him alone because he's eight years old. And then she has like a few moments with Sonny that end up not really amounting to anything within the context of the film. If they amounted to something, then yeah, maybe there's something, but they don't they don't really amount to anything. Uh it's like you kind of get hinted that maybe like a little will they or won't they for a moment, but the movie's not long enough to develop it into anything. So <laughs> I, I don't really care whether it develops into anything. Uh, so I don't really understand her character at all. And this kind of all goes into, I think they're very underdeveloped characters. Uh, the other, oh, the other thing still about her, I, I feel bad that I'm just totally going in on the foreign exchange student, but it just really made no sense to me in the movie. She is a former astronaut now, like very near the top of NASA, which remember is a government job and has quite a bit of like top secret clearance. And even if it didn't have top secret clearance, just regular clearance, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to uh, have foreign exchange students living in your house with just a clearance. And she's got secret and top secret way above that. And she just has a foreign national living in her house. And I'm like, I think that's against the Department of National Security. <laughs> um, like, like that, it was really taking me out of the movie because I was like, and then like uh, she shows up on one of the launch bases. All of the launch bases in the United States, with the exception of what SpaceX is making, are government property, federal property, and... Uh, they're military bases, uh, pretty much. They're, they're basically Department of Defense bases, which means, again, uh, foreign nationals aren't allowed un without explicit permission. And that permission has to come from the DOD like uh, and the Department of National Security. So it, it was a little weird that she was just able to get onto these bases super easily, in my opinion. I get it. It's like the end of the world because the moon's crashing down, but it's not like she was, it's not like they were like, oh, she has to get on base because she has this knowledge of the moon or of this scientific method we need to implement. Like, no, she didn't add anything from a, from a mission objective standpoint. So why, why did she need to be on base? <laughs> It was just like for plot convenience for Jacinda to not have to leave to go talk to them and say goodbye. And it was, it was weird, weird in my opinion. And there's a lot of choices like that that I thought were really odd. Uh, but let's let's read this article about how NASA helped Moonfall make the moon fall. Um, let's see. Uh, Oh, also, I thought that was so funny that uh, this this article even talks about it. At one point, Jacinda gets a call from NASA. <laughs> <laughs>
like what like like this sentence says it best if you can accept that someone would have would save an entire space agency as a contact you're in the right headspace for moonfall like she is like one of the top um i don't know if the term is executive but executives of this government agency and she doesn't have an individual person's phone number or like which base's phone number. It just says NASA. Like, is that Cape Canaveral calling? Is that Houston calling? Is that <laughs> like, what, what's going on? Who's calling and who at those facilities is calling? I figured she'd have everyone's phone number, right? It's very weird. Um, but let, let's see if they talk about, uh, it's unclear whether NASA also helped the official Moonfall Twitter account come up with the Fire Moon tweets. I don't know what tweets those are. Uh, how did you end up consulting for Moonfall? Let's see. What's what's the preamble for this paragraph? Jim Green. Uh, Jim Green served as a scientific consultant for the film. Uh, he held the position of NASA's chief scientist since 2018. Being a consultant for Moonfall probably doesn't rank high on the list of career achievements, which includes overseeing missions throughout the solar system and contributing to more than 100 scientific papers. But that doesn't mean he didn't want Moonfall to depict apocalyptic moon mayhem as accurately as possible. And like I was saying, like the moon actually falling looked awesome. It was the discussions around the moon falling that was like very odd. Um, he was apparently the lead consultant on The Martian, which was a terrific movie. Uh, so let's see. Uh, in all these cases, in any organization that, some, that would like some NASA consultants or to bounce ideas off NASA scientists as a reality check, they get approval through the Office of Communications. The person that runs it is Bert Ulrich. Okay. Uh, you need to talk to Jim Green let's see if i can find it's not commonly known how important the role the moon plays in stabilizing our rotational axis modulating our climate keeping our spin to a point where 24 hours is a good cadence uh we talked about what would happen if the moon came closer to earth the earth would spin up the tides of course would get greater there'd be a lot more volcanic activity and they were delighted because they could see that, I think. Oh, here's a disaster one, disaster two, disaster three. And they show that all within the movie. And it's awesome uh, as a disaster movie. Uh, but let's see. Uh, I don't really care about any of these things. Are there any concerns collaborating on a movie like Moonfall that indulges conspiracy theories? Uh, that decision's not made by me. It's really all about the science. I could talk to them and tell them about it. It's about understanding the real physical world as we know it. And we don't know everything. I'll be the first to tell you that how movies use that. That's the fun part. It's all up to them. But we do more documentaries than we do science fiction films. And that all adds up to helping science literacy. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Um uh, 
Yeah, and he even talks about we are looking for megastructures on other planets. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Um, it's cool that they got something to consult on them. I, I guess that we have to credit the maybe the subscriptions of the disasters on Earth. Uh, but the discussions just made no sense to me about how they would miscalculate. Like if the earth is a megastructure, we would know about it now. <laughs> we know the how much gravity and how much mass uh, the the moon has. Like we we it wouldn't change just because the moon changes its orbit. Like <laughs> well, I guess if it changes its orbit, something must have happened. But uh, yeah, it's it would always have the same mass like a piece would have to fall off of it but then it actually has less mass so <laughs> yeah it's it's very weird weird to me the the math behind it the way they talk about it in the movie i should be clear uh didn't really add up to my primitive knowledge of the laws of gravity and orbital mechanics uh but what do i know uh and so before I keep ranting about this movie, let's see, is there anything else I want to say? I talked about the lame character work. The other thing is that, like, I guess even in Day After Tomorrow, everyone's still trying to get to the same. Sorry, I was going to say an Independence Day, I meant to say. In Independence Day and Day After Tomorrow and 2012, I mean, maybe less Day After Tomorrow, but 2012 and Independence Day, for the majority of the movie, everyone is trying to get to the same place. Everyone's trying to get to the bunker just to survive kind of thing. And then it's at the very end when uh, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum get to hop in an alien spaceship and uh <laughs> kill some aliens but let me make sure that all right cool uh however in this movie three of our characters are trying to solve the problem and the rest are just trying to get to a bunker that they end up never getting to it's all very strange It's weird. It's a weird movie. I don't know. I, I didn't really care for it. I thought it was uh, kind of disappointing. It was very pretty, but it was kind of disappointing. Uh, to get into movie news, since we got a lot to talk about, but before I do, I just want to remind everyone to uh, please rate, review, subscribe, follow wherever you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Twitch.tv, slash Unanimous Indecision. Really helps grow the analytics, helps other people find us, and most importantly, uh, helps me know that y'all are still listening. You know, <laughs> that's good. To, good to know. Um, and uh, it also just gives a lot of feedback for me. Uh, we also do two shows here. Do this one every Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern time, where we don't talk about Moonfall every week, but we do do it. We do do a different uh, <laughs> uh, movie review every week 
and then we talk some movie news, which I'm about to get into. And then on Fridays at the same time, 6 p.m. Eastern time, uh, we talk uh, some nerdy TV shows. Right now we're talking Book of Boba Fett, Peacemaker. This week we'll be talking the Book of Boba Fett finale. So I imagine it could be a pretty good conversation uh, that I'm very excited to get into. But unfortunately, we'll have to wait. I'll have to rewatch the episode, to be honest. Uh, so let's get into these movie news. This first one isn't a full article, but I'm hearing some rumblings. Some rumblings that movie pass may return. That's right. Potentially like the 12th chapter in the Forever Saga that is the interesting franchise of movie pass. Uh, the company might be coming back. Um, there's some rumblings that something might happen tomorrow or this weekend. And we'll, we'll have to wait and see exactly what that means. But the original founder did read by the company, did buy back the company, um, just a couple of months ago. So, what that means, I don't know, considering Movie Pass kind of existed marginally before um all the movie theaters kind of created their own quote-unquote movie pass uh with amc's ticket stubs cinemark's uh movie club i forget what cineworld has which is regal uh but they've got their own thing is that like stars or something um yeah they, they all all the movie theaters movie yeah all the movie theaters now have their own kind of perk packages uh, their monthly subscription services that you can see unlimited movies if you pay for that. And I shouldn't say unlimited movies because each of those are different. Like Cinemarks is one free movie, uh, but you get discounts on concessions. Uh, and so I don't know. I don't know exactly what the play is for MoviePass now that those systems do exist. Because before they didn't, and it was kind of one of a kind. Uh, but it was, it was always like when, it, I mean, I'm not going to get too much into it. Cause I feel like I always get into movie pass. Uh, it's, it's some of my best rants of all time. Uh, I just remember the first time someone told me about it and I, I was like, explain it to me again. Cause the more, the more you explain it to me, the more I'm thinking this company is just losing money. Sure enough, it was losing money and it, it went down very quickly. <laughs> Um, so we'll, we'll have to see what its new strategy will be, what's new price point will be, what, what's going on there, but I'd be excited to talk about it. It might be the, the story of the week next week. If there is news, uh, if there's not, then we just won't talk about it. You know, uh, on the other hand, uh, that day and date release that I talk about being so harmful to movies is being accused yet again. Uh, Warner Brothers, of course, <laughs> kind of the primary culprit of the day and date release strategy. Warner Brothers is being sued over Matrix Resurrections day and date HBO Max release. Uh, basically saying that the simultaneous release caused the movie to underwhelm, uh, to underwhelm at the box office. Uh, bad performance. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, it probably would have helped 
if the movie was a little bit better. But there was a lot of hype going into the movie. So uh, we got a quote here. Warner Brothers' sole purpose in moving the release date of Matrix Resurrections forward was to create a desperately needed wave of year-end HBO Max premium subscriptions from what it knew would be a blockbuster film despite knowing full well that it would decimate the film's box office revenue and deprive village road show of any economic upside that wb and its affiliates would enjoy especially as compared to a 2022 exclusive theatrical release uh that's the complaint filed in the la superior court Warner Brothers responds, this is a frivolous attempt by Village Roadshow to avoid their contractual commitment to participate in the arbitration that we commenced against them last week. We have no doubt that this case will be resolved in our favor. I mean, if they had an arbitration previously, I guess that's that kind of. But uh, it does feel like I can't tell it's really hard to tell in these situations whether it was like the Scarlett Johansson one or the Denny Villa news stuff uh, with, was that new line? I think that was new line. No, um, it wasn't new line. I, f I forget the company's name. Legendary, uh, legendary studios. And like, we see a lot of these lawsuits creeping up and whatnot. And it just sounds like, it sounds like something wasn't clear. Even if it was priorly negotiated, it seems like something wasn't clear. Someone didn't understand something on either side, uh, which is bad, but it is kind of like you should have been aware. That's why you ask questions before you sign a document, <laughs> before you sign the contract. Um, now, it's possible that they're just breaking the contract um, but I mean, like this article is doing something that I think isn't necessarily, it's kind of apples and oranges in my opinion. The blockbuster sequel has grossed only $37 million domestically compared to a nearly $750 million by Spider-Man No Way Home, which is also a sequel to a blockbuster franchise released around the same time. Yeah, but anyone can tell you that there are some differences, <laughs> Whether it, and I'm not even talking about like just the quality of the movie, the setup, there was some difference. Like, Spider Man was not going to be beat. Uh oh. With the amount of hype it had, I'm pretty sure it passed 37 million in the first day. So, even if it was a letdown movie, it would have still made more money because it had so much hype going into it, regardless of it being a good or bad movie, just because the first day was so. Uh, financially lucrative. Um, but yeah, uh, the Scarlett Johansson Disney case settled. Uh, the terms of the settlement have not been discussed, so we don't know which direction it went. Uh, Village Roadshow alleged Warner Brothers executives project popcorn effort drove viewers away from theaters and onto HBO Max. As part of the plan, Warner Brothers moved up the release of Matrix Resurrections from 2022 to the end of 2021. 
agreed to allow its sister company to stream Village Roadshow's tentpole film on the same day of its theatrical release for no additional revenue so that its sister company could increase its subscribers and subscription revenues with the additional benefit of boosting its parent company's stock. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, Warner Brothers renegotiated contracts tied to box office performance when it announced that it would put its entire slate of 2021 movies uh, onto HBO Max and in theaters. Did they, though? When did that happen? I didn't know they officially did it. I know they tried to kind of do them one by one, and each one was problematic after the next. Uh, no such deal was reached with Village Roadshow over Matrix Resurrections. There you go. Let's see, like, oh, Warner Brothers renegotiated contracts. Oh, but no such deal was reached with Village Road Village Roadshow over Matrix Resurrections. Well, did they renegotiate contracts or not? How could they just forget Matrix Resurrections? How could they just forget that movie? Like, <laughs> it was supposed to be one of the biggest movies of the year. Like, how could they just forget that? Uh, the lawsuit said, adding that the rushed release caused it to be rampantly pirated. Agreed. I agree with that sentiment. I've been saying that since the beginning, that that would be a huge problem with it. We saw the effects that Black Widow was a massively pirated movie. Um, and I'm sure Matrix Resurrections as well. Uh, which, that's probably like the biggest hurt of its box office returns like yeah it's being hurt by uh hbo max kind of subscriptions but i think it's the pirating the the people that are just like straight up getting it for free now if it's not available in your area like i don't really know what to say for you um like i guess it's still illegal um but we, with people that have the option of hbo max or theater like you shouldn't be pirating it. Like you have two legal ways of obtaining it. You should not be pirating it. Um, like definitely. I mean, you, you should never be pirating it regardless, but but if you have the access, you definitely should. <laughs> like the complaint argued that the movie's poor financial performance dilutes the value of the franchise since it now appears that no more installments will be made. Interesting. I mean, I was even saying, like, I feel like the way it ended, like, I was like, what did the what did those words mean? I was like, there's got to be a Matrix Five, but because it they hurt their own franchise, yeah, they kind of cut it out, cut its feet off. I've been saying that. Um, Village Roadshow is also disputing other projects that are in the works. They argue that the studio has refused to reorganize its right to partner in Wonka by claiming that it's not a prequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which the two sides co-own. I think Timothy Chalamet is doing that Wonka movie, right? Uh, Warner Brothers is additionally trying to cut Village Roadshow out of a television series based on Edge of Tomorrow. Wow, this is, this is a whole... It feels like every single project these two have worked on is <laughs> getting trudged up. Um, 
Instead of treating Village Roadshow as a co-owner of the film and as the long-standing partner it is, Warner Brothers proposed a financial deal that would have had Village Roadshow forgo its contractual rights and be relegated to a second-class participant. Ooh, yikes. Uh, Warner Brothers has allegedly refused to proceed with any project concerning Edge of Tomorrow that involves Village Roadshow as a financial partner. Man, what is going on between these two companies? What the heck happened? Uh... <laughs> But yeah, a bunch of stuff. Obviously, Warner Media's had a lot of problems with Denny Villeneuve, with Christopher Nolan. In last September, Jason Kilar said, I will be the first one to say that the responsibility rests on my shoulders, that in hindsight, we should have taken the better part of a month to have over 170 conversations, which is the number of participants that are in our 2021 film slate. That was last September. I guess they still didn't take that remaining week to cover the last three months of movies. You know, like, what a disaster. What an absolute disaster, Warner Brothers decisions were this year i don't know is very frustrating a lot of people were saying that it was at&t's decisions but i don't know right i i just don't know i mean maybe they were but It was a bad decision regardless, and we're still seeing the fallout over a year later. This decision was made in December of 2020. Over a year later, we're still seeing the fallout of it. Uh, I want to look something up real quick, because if these two studios split, I want to see what Village Roadshow is kind of responsible for. Let's talk about what it's responsible for with Warner Brothers. Because I guess it's responsible. Holy cow, there's a lot. So they primarily work with Warner Brothers. They have worked with other studios. Oh, man, there's a lot of stuff. I'm going to look for some more iconic stuff. I mean, it's kind of a lot. I guess all the Matrix films, maybe. Um. Space Cowboys, I remember that movie. Training Day was a great movie. Uh, Miss Congeniality. Uh, Oceans, the Oceans movies. Ooh, the Oceans movies. Uh, Analyze That. I watched that not too long ago. The Catwoman movie. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I already talked about that. Happy Feet, an iconic movie. Uh, License to Wed's a funny movie. I Am Legend, a great movie. Uh, Get Smart, a good one. Speed Racer, if you know what that movie is. Uh, <laughs> Gran Torino, Yes Man. Um, Sex and the City, or at least Sex and the City 2. That's the only one I see listed here. 
the Sherlock Holmes, uh, Robert Downey Jr. movies, I believe. The Lego movie, The Great Gatsby, Edge of Tomorrow, like, geez, American Sniper, Jupiter Ascending, Mad Max Fury Road, San Andreas, um, Sully, Collateral Beauty, Whew. Joker. Dude, what movies has Warner Brothers put out that like did not have Village Roadshow attached to it? <laughs> uh, I guess like the ones that came from Legendary, right? Or New Line. But it's like, <laughs> man, Village Roadshow really was a part of like a lot of the a lot of the big stuff that Warner Brothers has put out in the last twenty years. Um, probably like a third of it that like they were connected to, maybe. Which is, is quite a bit. It's quite a bit of stuff for them to start having beef now. Um, it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. Normally, nothing comes of these sort of things. I know I know it sounds like these no way these studios ever work together. But the thing is, Hollywood understands what it is. It understands that it's a business. And so even though these companies constantly argue over contracts all the time, and this may be just being a very, uh, very loud, very extreme case uh, with a lot of disagreements all happening at once. Um, it probably won't result in a total break of the two companies. Uh, probably. It could happen. But uh, I mean, maybe they'll just take a little little short break from each other and then come back or, or they'll just decide what kind of all movie studios decide is, hey, we want to make some money. So if if we need ideas or we need people to execute those ideas, sure, we can work together to do that. Like uh, money, money in Hollywood brings people together, you know? Um, Lightyear dropped a new trailer and this trailer's awesome. I love this trailer. It's even better than the previous one. I think it's funny. Uh, I I typically don't like the uh, <laughs> the emotional support animal in movies kind of thing, but they really lean into it in this one. <laughs> And I think it works and it's got like kind of a creepy kind of, it's a little creepy. It's got a little bit of a Hal 9000 moment to it, but uh, yeah, it's a cool trailer. We get to see Zerg, which I'm super excited about. Uh, Cause I just, I just can't wait to find out what this, what the story is. It looks so cool. Uh, it looks great. I'm stoked for it. Um, definitely one of my most excited, one of the most, one of the movies I'm most excited for this year, for sure. Because uh, it just looks really good. Uh, the National Treasure TV series that's going to Disney Plus just added Catherine Zeta-Jones. Uh, Co-leading opposite Light Lisette, Alexis. Um, okay, cool. Uh, it will be executive produced by the film's by the previous film's producers, Jerry Bruckheimer, uh, director John Turtletaub, 
and writers more Marion and Cormac Wibberley, uh, an expansion of the National Treasure movie franchise told from the point of view of a young heroine, uh, Jess, played by Alexis, uh, a dreamer in search of answers about her family who embarks on the adventures of a lifetime to uncover the truth about the past and save a lost Pan-American treasure. Uh, okay. I mean, hey, I, I hope it's good. I really like National Treasure movies. Uh, personally, I'm not stoked that it's a TV show. Like, it's cool that they're getting some big names attached to this. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'll watch it just on the basis it's a TV show. Because I don't know if I want to watch them as, as a, <laughs> uh, John Voight says to Nicolas Cage, um, oh, and that clue will lead you to another clue, and that clue will lead you to another clue. Uh, and he finally figured it out that the the myth of the treasure that the treasure is a myth, um, and the, the myth was only created to keep the British busy during the war. <laughs> like that that's kind of the way the TV show I think is gonna feel if I watch it. Is that like? to watch a, this treasure hunt unfold over, I don't know, 10 episodes, eight episodes. Actually, who am I kidding? This is Disney plus it's going to unfold over six episodes and they're each going to be a half an hour long. And it should have just been a two and a half hour movie. No, never mind. All right. It's fine. The pacing will be fine. Never mind. Because they, for some reason, just chop up movies into TV shows. I have no idea why, but they do it. Uh, I think it's very stupid. It's a miss. I think it mismanages drama a little bit, like at least so far from what I've seen. Uh, I, I think they, I think Disney plus has yet to release a show that manages its pacing, manages its pacing well throughout the entire show. I think the closest is the Mandalorian and that's because the Mandalorian tells you straight up it's about the journey not the destination national treasure is kind of about the destination you know like the journey is supposed to be fun but it's about the treasure <laughs> and if we don't if we don't get there in a satisfying way then it doesn't really work out which has kind of been like a lot of these superhero and star wars shows uh, except the Mandalorian tells you straight up that like, it's really not about the destination. It's about the journey. And so you're interested in each little episode because it's kind of a story in and of itself while still bar part of the bigger picture. And they are all part of the bigger picture <coughs> because they all service character moments, which is really good. Um, yeah. And then uh, we did get a little bit more news. We got that Lord of the Rings teaser, uh, the one ring to rule them all, uh, or the rings of power, my bad. Uh, we got that little teaser, and now we're getting word from a Hollywood reporter that they're going to release their first actual teaser trailer. It's still going to be a teaser? What the heck is the difference? So now we have teasers, teaser, trailers, trailer one, trailer two, trailer three, final trailer. <laughs> Dude, I hate this, man. Get me out of here. We also have first looks and, um, <laughs> oh gosh, I, oh, gross. There's too, too much marketing. 
too much marketing over marketed products uh but yeah they're gonna release the first teaser trailer during the super bowl i think that's a good move super bowl is uh one of the most uh it's usually the most watched program uh on television uh i assume this year will not be any different and so uh them dropping the most expensive television series ever made in front of the most eyes probably a good idea probably a good idea considering the first season cost them at least 465 million dollars <laughs> on one tv show i mean amazon's got money to burn so i guess it works out but cool uh i'm excited for the series i'm excited to see what that kind of money can buy you to be honest um, although I guess they spent that much money on Solo because they had to remake the movie like three times due to losing directors and rewriting the whole script. And <laughs> uh, John Wick, that's a guy we haven't talked about in a little bit. Uh, we're still waiting for John Wick 4 and John Wick 5. Uh, let's see. Uh, Halle Berry says that her character Sophia will not be in the next John Wick movie. Uh, in an interview with IGN, uh, right before the Moonfall's release, uh, and she did still say that um, a spinoff could be happening. That's cool. I thought she was a really cool character. Uh, the John Wick uh, directors and writers seem to understand their world better than anyone. Um, even if they add a lot of weird stuff to it, uh, <laughs> the fight scenes are awesome. Uh, they are the kind of the greatest action movies we're getting right now. So, yeah, I think it'd be cool for them to just make more. Uh, yeah, could be a possibility for Sophia in her own movie. So she might be in John Wick, but she might be doing her own thingy thing, as Halle Berry says. <laughs> uh, but she says that it is a, the potential project is putting some ointment on a little sore given that I guess she was supposed to get a die another day spinoff. I didn't know that. That was before I was born, I guess. No, it wasn't. When did die another day come out? No, it was 2002. I was alive for that. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, John Wick, uh, is getting the continental which is a limited series featuring a young winston scott uh which will debut on stars dude how many people have stars um as well as a spin-off film titled ballerina featuring anna de armas is also reported in development obviously anna de armas is kind of like a hot commodity in hollywood right now considering that people are suing the movie yesterday for her character being cut from the trailer. 
Uh, as for John Wick Chapter 4, it was pushed back to 2023, even though it completed all of its filming back in November. It'll be released on March 24th, 2023. Cool. I'm excited for that. I, I think the spinoff's a really good idea. I think John Wick movies work as long as they keep working, keep pumping them out. Um, they showed that they don't have to just work with John Wick when they made nobody. And I really enjoyed it. It, it delivered on exactly the same thing I was looking for. Uh, so if they could now do that with Halle Berry, um, great. I mean, they, they did it once with her as a, uh, maybe a secondary character, but as a primary character, it could be awesome. Uh, as we see the finale of the John Wick movies. Because it, it's a weird <laughs> spy-filled world that they've created. Uh, I, I don't really understand it enough. Uh, another movie. The Meg. It's a Megalodon. Uh, the Meg sequel. The Meg 2. Do What, what are we going to call this movie? Meg 2. The Trench. That's what it's called. The Trench. What is this? Aquaman? Uh, uh, it kicked off uh, production with a splash at Warner Brothers owned Leaveston Studios outside London where the Harry Potter and Batman franchises were also shot. Uh, it's directed by Ben Wheatley, the director of Rebecca, uh, who takes the reins from John Turtletop, who has reached our news articles twice today. Uh, <laughs> uh, the first movie brought in $530 million worldwide. And it's a pretty good movie as far as like, you know, yeah, everyone was just kind of going to see John's Jason Statham shark movie and they kind of got what they wanted. <laughs> um, Jason Statham's also going to be in the Expendables 4 and Guy Ritchie's Orson Fortune. Jeez. Uh, but yeah, uh, I like the Meg too. I mean, it's not like the greatest, but it was a fun movie. Sure, uh, it's, it's just a fun movie. It was like, <laughs> it's just like a worse Jaws, but the Jaws is bigger, so it's interesting. <laughs> it's a worse Jaws from a story perspective, but it's a more fun Jaws because. The Jaws is bigger. Yeah. Um, actually, we're going to skip this article and come back to it at the very end. No, we can do it now. Uh, kind of the big... Now nah, we'll come back to it. I lied. <laughs> uh, I'm very indecisive right now. Uh, talking about Star Wars real quick. If you've been watching the book of Buffet, I like I said, I won't be really spoiling too much. Uh, but uh, Cobb Vanth, you know, the the story of the Book of Boba Fett takes place on Tatooine. Cobb Vanth is a character we know is on Tatooine. It's not that far-fetched. He would show up at some point. Um, Cobb Vanth shows up in the Book of Boba Fett, and the creator of Cobb Vanth, Chuck Windig, uh, is a little upset that they used him and didn't credit him. Uh, he's totally fine with them using him. He, he's just upset about not being credited. Uh, I always dig it when big media produce 
big media properties have a special thanks for the writers and creators who contributed to their worlds and stories, and it's a bummer when they don't do that. And I bring this up for absolutely no reason at all, and I will almost certainly delete this tweet. <laughs> um, comes after an episode. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to talk about all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, he originated the character of Cobb Vanth in the Aftermath, Aftermath books uh, and I guess did not get credited uh, for his appearance in the book of Boba Fett. Uh, I wonder if he was credited in the Mandalorian episodes. Because I would think if he was credited in one, he would be credited in the other. But... Yeah, I mean, there's not really anything he could do about it. Uh, there are no contractual rules in this regard, according to the article. Um, which names go into final credits are largely determined by rules put in place by various unions. Uh, special thanks are given individuals who are helpful to production but did not receive a formal title or compensation for the contribution. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I don't know. It's like he's he's still employed working with Star Wars, right? Um, he was brought in to establish Disney's own vision of an interconnected multimedia Star Wars universe. Um, any of his creations would legally be part of Disney's Star Wars IP. But like, that's the thing. I, I think that's where it becomes like a little bit of a dicey issue is that like he still works there. <laughs> like if he no longer worked there and they weren't contractually obligated to give him a special thanks, then I guess it works. But like they did, right? So <laughs> they they use the character. The guy still works there and they didn't give a special thanks. So it's like, it's going to be interesting about him on future projects, I think. Cause like, you, you don't want to create that, that uh, negative atmosphere with your employees. I, I wouldn't think so. At least it's not what I would want if I was running the business. Um, yeah. So that was, that was kind of a shocking to me. Uh, I didn't even notice, to be honest. And there you go. <laughs> uh, Cassie and Andor, a show we haven't really talked about in a while, still hasn't premiered. Um, it's already confirmed for a second season, according to Stone Skarsgård. Uh, I didn't realize, I completely forgot that Stone Skarsgård was part of this show. Uh There's no official release date for this series even, but uh, Stellan Skarsgård was talking to a Swedish news site saying, uh, we start with Dune 2 in July, and then in autumn it's time for the second season of the Star Wars series, Andor. Uh, that's cool, I guess, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I have hesitations. Whenever shows, I mean, Lord of the Rings did it, The Wheel of Time did it, 
I guess Cassie and Andor is doing it. Confor confirming season two uh, is longer. Or is longer. Confirming season two even before the first episode of season one premieres. Like you don't know what people's reception of the series is going to be. It kind of tells me, as I've been saying, that like the pacing of these stories doesn't feel like a TV show or a movie. It feels like neither. And when I hear that, like an early confirmation of season two, I'm wondering if like Loki, Loki felt like half a story to me. And so I feel like I'm not going to be complete until I get season two. I don't feel like I can accurately judge Loki until I get season two, till I get the rest of that story. It felt like half a story. And so I'm worried that Cassie and Andor is going to be the same way that it'll feel like half a story in season one. And I won't be settled until season two. Uh, also, this show's kind of been like talked about, not talked about for like four years. And we still don't have a release date for it. Like, I don't really know what's going on with it. I guess they like what they're seeing, but we have yet to actually get anything with it. Um, but hopefully it's good. I'm hoping it's good. I can't wait to watch it, but I wish they would just release the series and then you can start talking about season two, you know? Uh, do you know what did get a release date though? Kenobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi set to debut uh, in May on Disney Plus. I'm so excited. <laughs> what, a, what a weird uh, article this is. Ewan McGregor returns to the in the streaming series, which launches 45 years after Star Wars's first hit theaters. What? Okay, but Ewan McGregor wasn't in those movies 45 years ago. Also, is that year even right? That math feels wrong. No, it's right. Okay. 1977, I know. Uh, Kenobi is going to be set 10 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith, which I guess means that it's going to be split right in the middle of Revenge of the Sith and New Hope. 19-year difference because Luke is 19. He is born in Revenge of the Sith. 10 years after is right in the middle of 19 years. Uh, Deborah Chow's directing. Um, and we know, of course, that Darth Vader is going to be do, doing a popping. Uh, we're going to have Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, of course. Uh, he's really excited about it. Uh, yeah, I'm too. I'm super excited for this series. I have a lot of hesitations about it, but uh, hopefully, again, I'm just because any new series at this point coming from Disney Plus, I'm like, hopefully it's good, you know, because <laughs> it's like, it's like I love individual episodes, but in the context of the full stories, they don't seem to really add a whole lot. And it's not like we're talking a 20-episode season where, sure, I'm not expecting you to tell me a 40-hour, not 40-hour, a 15-hour long story where each episode is like 40 minutes or whatever. 
I'm, I'm not expecting you to tell me a 15 hour long story, but if you're going to make it six episodes, tell me six episodes of the story, you know, and I don't know. I, it just feels weird. Uh, I feel kind of bad saying all, all that negative stuff. Cause I feel like a lot of it's really fresh from book of Boba Fett. And I will say book of Boba Fett without spoiling it. Cause I, I'll wait to do that until Friday. Uh, it, it it does work towards correcting a lot of the things I was pointing out that I was like, a lot of this stuff is just pointless. And it does do a good job to point out how the, that stuff is useful. So like, it turns out it wasn't pointless. And, you know, I'll, I'll try to try to remember that that stuff was eventually used, that, that it all became kind of uh, Chekhov's gun. If it's in the movie, it has to be used. It has to be important. If it's part of the story, it has to be important. Um, on the Marvel side of things, uh, Charlie Cox was talking a little Daredevil. It was basically a lot of I don't knows, to be honest. It's like hardly a news story. But um, he says, obviously, it's now known that I'm in Spider-Man. So, yeah, but more than that, I don't know. The little I do know, I'm obviously not going to say. Um, my hope is that I get to do as much as I'm allowed to do and to be involved. Uh, I don't know what they're planning and all that kinds of stuff, but there are some really interesting stories that I love for the character to explore. Yeah, I would too. I think his portrayal of Daredevil was awesome. And, uh, I was really excited when he popped into Spider-Man, but <laughs> He's, he's definitely being a little coy. I'm pretty sure he does know uh, when his next venture is. When he says the little he knows, the little he knows is what project it is. He knows what, what he's in next. Um, I, I'm pretty confident of that. And uh, he, he's just being a little coy with it. You know, why, why would he really be talking about it? Um, like, I guess he was talking about his upcoming series called Kin, but it's like, I feel like there's like seven or eight different sentences here of him emphasizing that he doesn't know, which to me means that he does. Because if you didn't know, you'd just say that once, <laughs> you know, and you wouldn't emphasize that you didn't know. Like, you wouldn't feel guilty about knowing something. You'd just be like, well, I don't know. It is what it is. So I, I think he knows what the project is, and I'm sure we'll find out soon. Uh, Dakota Johnson um, is hinting that she might be playing uh, maybe Madam Web in a Spider-Man spinoff movie, uh, which is te she teases in an Instagram post. Now, this is kind of a stretch. Don't get me wrong. But she basically posted, as far as I can tell, a black image with a little web at the bottom, which is the symbol for Madam Web. Um, Madam Web is like a kind of one of those multiversal characters. Uh, she, I think, is eventually blind. I forget, but she she basically guides Peter and 
tortures him a little bit for <laughs> for his betterment uh, to try and uh, guide him. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's a cool character to be introduced, uh, especially going for a younger version. There's kind of two different versions of Madam Web, largely. There's like the really old version that's like the master of the craft and totally understands the Spider-Verse. And then there's the young character that's just learning it all for the first time. Um, which, uh, yeah, uh, cool, cool, cool. Uh, I, I had heard that maybe they were going to do a Madam Web project. Maybe they just cast someone. We'll probably find out in a couple of weeks if we get like a director attached to the project. And then the project will be official. Uh, on the DC side of things, the really big conversation that's kind of coming up in just a few short weeks. Um, next month. Uh, I actually just saw another article. But uh, hold on, there's a lot of articles I'm seeing. Uh, turns out the uh, MCU Ironheart uh, added Anthony Ramos from In the Heights to the Marvel series. I bet we don't know who he's playing yet. Yeah, we don't know the role, but uh, they added him to the cast. All right, that's cool. That was kind of an impromptu one. Uh, but talking about the Batman, uh, they released the projections that they're they're hoping for with uh, the Batman. It sounds really interesting because it seems like it's going to be uh, a top ten uh, opening weekend, which is kind of incredible. Uh, it's also going to be like really big for Batman. Uh, as of right now, the Batman is projected to make 135 to 185 million in its first three days of release. Uh, when you compare that range to past Batman films on the low end at 135, it would be ranked fourth all time amongst the Batman films. And 185 million means it would be the biggest of the Batman. The Dark Knight made 158 million, uh, The Dark Knight Rises 160 million. BVS made 166 million and Batman Begins uh, made. Were they supposed to list? Oh, no, it'll be fourth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the low end of Batman movies, Batman Begins made 48 million and Batman made 40 million. Uh, so, yeah, it, it seems like it'll, it'll take an easy fourth or fifth slot. Um, or an easy fourth slot. Oh, so those films are the fourth and fifth at 48 million, 40 million. Yeah, I'm going to say the Batman's going to make more than $80 million opening weekend. Will it make 135? Will it make 185? I don't know. But it's going to make more than 80 million. I'm going to call it now. Uh, they project the Batman to make anywhere from 340 to 350 million dollars in its entire domestic run, which would give the new film a shot to be the most successful film in the franchise domestically. Um, it has a lot of work to pass the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, which sit at 533 million and 448 million. Um, but even if it hits its low projection, it would sit at third just ahead of Batman v Superman. Uh, what does it mean? 
is that they could have a major hit on their hands. Yeah, I mean, of course. So th this movie looks awesome. Everybody's talking about the Batman. It looks awesome. It looks great. Uh, I know some people have some hesitations maybe, but like, what do you have to be hesitated about? Like, there's nothing within the context of the trailer that says I should be hesitating. Now, if you want to be hesitating because Warner Brothers seems to be mismanaging a lot of stuff lately, yeah, I think that's a reasonable <laughs> reasonable uh, thing. Uh, but, I mean, Matt Reeves has put out some movie, a couple of movies that I, I like uh, pretty well. Uh, I wasn't necessarily blown away by them, but I think they're pretty good. And these trailers seem awesome. I mean, it could be that we'll look back and be like, man, the Batman trailers were some of the greatest trailers for the worst movie ever. Or we'll say, no, it was a great movie. Best Batman ever. Like what happens when people are saying that, you know, like, you know, it wasn't too long ago that it was like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies were the best Batmans ever. Uh, the Michael Keaton Batman were the best Batmans ever. And Batman's had a long history outside of comics let alone within comics, but it's had a long history outside of comics and it feels like each Batman is is kind of better than the previous, obviously, a loose rule, but um, it seems like when they really want to try and they give uh, a director a chance to tell a story, uh, they, they can sometimes have a hit on their hands. Um, I guess Joel Schumacher maybe did, didn't quite get, get the free pass, but uh, but this Batman looks awesome. I'm excited for it. Uh, it does not surprise me that its projections are, are huge for Batman and pretty good just for a movie in general. I mean, in context, uh, 2021 box office rankings. Let's do this. Domestic box office. Uh, just to be clear, so the domestic box office in this article says that it could be three hundred forty to five hundred forty million dollars for its entire domestic run. Whether it's three hundred forty or five hundred forty, it will be second for twenty twenty one. Because in 2021, Shang-Chi was $224 million and Spider-Man was $573 million. So $340 to $540 is, no matter whether it hits the low end or the high end, it would have placed second in 2021. Uh, granted, uh, I like to think that COVID's a little bit better now than it was before. I mean, at the beginning of 2021, I, I think it was the beginning uh, or maybe the middle we had the Delta variant. Sure, now we have Omicron, but uh, it, it seems like Omicron isn't as severe as Delta, even if it's more infectious. Uh, at least it seems that way. And so with that, uh, may, maybe it won't. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that, but uh, may, maybe uh, the movie theaters won't be as impacted by uh by covid uh obviously covid's not going away so uh we'll have to wait and see but i know the hype for this movie is huge i'm super stoked for it uh, yeah i i i'll be very disappointed if it's not good <laughs> <coughs> excuse me
as will I think everybody. And I imagine people won't be quiet about it because I remember how people felt about uh, Batman v Superman initially. And then most people kind of turned around their opinion on that. And then how vocal people were about Justice League. You know, uh, when DC movies are bad, people are people are loud about it, you know. <laughs> um, but it'll be I'm super excited for that movie. Also, uh, I was saying Lightyear, one of my most anticipated movies for the year. The Batman, one of my most anticipated movies for the year, for sure. I mean, like, yeah, Avatar 2 is kind of the top of my list, but I haven't seen a trailer for that yet. So I, I don't even want to think about it right now. <laughs> uh, the movies that I have seen trailers for, those are the movies I want to see. Uh, so that's kind of all the stories we have. Uh Thanks for joining me on this journey. Next week's movie, let me pull up my calendar. I think it's, uh, oh, I was wrong. No, it's Death on the Nile will be next week's movie review. Uh, let me double check. Verify. Yep. Death on the Nile will be this week's movie review. Should be well. I hope it's a good one. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, who who done it? I think are big coin tosses. Like it's it's difficult to do a who who done it well. Uh, but I enjoyed Murder on the Orient Express. It's kind of the same deal, but on a boat. <laughs> Death on the Nile with Inspector Perot. And uh, yeah, I like Who Done It, so I can't wait for it. Uh, that'll be Wednesday. Talking about Death on the Nile and whatever news pops up this week and then friday as i've been saying we're gonna be talking book of boba fett so if you saw that finale and you want to talk some more uh if you're you're tired of talking to the same two or three people about it you can come talk about it with me and uh we'll be talking about it on friday 6 p.m eastern time we'll be talking peacemaker first and then really getting into book of boba fett hopefully my peacemaker talk doesn't go for as long as it did last week so that i can really talk about book of boba fett Although I managed to last week. I think I said a lot of my piece. Uh, but but a lot of it changed. I will say a lot of it changed. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. But I appreciate you all for tuning in and listening. Uh, let me see if there is someone to raid as I get out of here. Uh, no, I'm just going to get out of here. Uh, and, but I appreciate, uh, you all for tuning in, uh, and yeah, I guess I'll raid this guy. Um, it's a Twitch thing for those of you listening on audio. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, Thank you all for listening. I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. Uh, this is Unanimous Incision. I'm Joshua Troop. We'll catch you next time. I just realized this will take a moment. So we will almost catch you next time. Don't forget, Friday, Book of Boba Fett, Peacemaker. Wednesday, Death on the Nile. Should be a good one. Good week. Good news. <laughs> all right. Have a good one. We'll catch you next time yet again. <laughs>